to get ready. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to get ready. Okay, it's time to break a sweat. Okay. I just want to begin by uh, sharing, you know, with you our, our uh, conference last week uh, that we got to be a part of, some of us in St. Louis. Tremendous, tremendous time for me personally. Uh, really strengthened my faith. It was like a family reunion. I got to see people that I grew up in ministry with 30 years ago, right? That's a long time, and we're still strong. We're still in it together. Uh, so it was a tremendous time, some great lessons, some great fellowship. You know what I loved about it the most? There was a ton of young people crawling all over St. Louis who were disciples of Jesus Christ. And that was exciting to see because they're ready to take the torch, okay, and ready to, to run with it. So that's, that's really exciting. And, and so let's get into our, our message. Before we start, uh, I don't want you to lose perspective of what we're going to talk about today, because this is very important. Jesus was talking to a crowd, and he mentions this parable. And, you know, we're going to have fun with the word today, but I want you to understand the significance of what we're going to talk about today. Jesus said this parable. He says, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and he scattered the seed. Some fell along the path. It was trampled, and the birds ate it up. He said, Jesus, what, what are you talking about? And he explains to us later on, and, and he didn't tell everybody. Jesus told parallel stories, parallel ideas, thoughts, so that people could visualize, but sometimes these were deep. So what people had to do is they had to think. He had to think about what Jesus was saying. And some people who didn't want to think went right over their head. Look at the interpretation of this part of the parable that Jesus mentioned. He says, this is the meaning of the parable of the seed. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. You know, we're going to have some fun today, but I want you to understand the seriousness of the word. We're going to scatter some seed today. We're going to throw it out there. My question to you is, will you allow it to fall on your heart are you going to be distracted? You know, playing around on your phone, you can do that later. Are, are you going to be thinking about, well, where are you going to go have lunch, and what are you doing, and, 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 and you know, the drama that's going on in the world? No, I, I want to ask you to be present today. With all the craziness that we're going to do here in a little bit, I just want to encourage you, what is he talking about? How does this apply to me? How does this apply to my faith? How does this apply to my walk with God? See, because here's what's at stake. There is a battle going on. I don't know if you know this or not. There is a battle going on for your soul, for the soul of every man, woman, and child. And the devil doesn't want, you may not believe in the devil, then you explain to me how do you explain all the evil in our world today. We can have that discussion after church, you and I. Because I want an explanation. How is it that people are so dark in our world today. And there's no devil orchestrating it, pushing it, 
promoting it, hate, destruction, murder. The devil comes and takes it away. So we're going to throw it today into your heart. And because you're distracted, you're thinking about other things, because you're cynical, because you don't want to really understand, hey, what's God trying to say to me? You'll miss it. And what happens? You won't believe, and you won't be saved. That's Jesus talking, not me. That's how important it is what we're going about to do is hear the Word. And the Word is like a seed that we're going to talk about in a little bit, has incredible potential. So let's start off with a word of prayer, and then we'll jump, we'll jump into the message. Pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we can hear your word. Thank you, God, that the, the disciples, they saved and preserved and wrote down what they heard. Not one, but many. We ask you, God, to please open our hearts. Help us to be receptive to what you want to teach us and what you want to show us. God, we want to be in a right relationship with you. Father, we don't just want to be religious. We want to be your friend. And we want to live according to your word. And we want to make a difference in this world. Please help us. Let your Holy Spirit be present here with us. And use me, Father, fill me with your spirit. Let him speak. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Awesome. All right, well, let's get right into it. I want to share with you just to start out a, a story of how this whole thing started when faith and life collide. A number of years ago, I was living, Laura and I, where our kids were born, I was living in Mexico City. Mexico City is an incredibly polluted city. Uh, one of the most polluted at that time in the world. They have to stop the circulating of cars because there's so much, it's like a bowl. There's mountains all around the city, and so everything stays in the city. And uh, doctors would say the equivalent, if you go out at certain times in the day, certain times of the year, it's like smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. Your clothes would smell of smoke. Your throat would burn. Your eyes would burn. And you would come home at the en end of the day being out and about, feeling a little weak and a little tired. We used to put air filters in our bedrooms to clean the air so that at least for eight hours or seven hours or however long we were sleeping, there would be filtrated air and you could breathe in some clean air. This particular environment, as I was working there as a minister and a missionary of a church of about six, 700 members, it was a pretty stressful job at that time. We took over a situation that was pretty challenging. So combining the environment and my stress levels, I started to get sick a lot. In fact, I would get sick just about every month and a half. And when you come to church, you know, there's sick people. And so I would come to church and sick people would, would get me sick. And so it would be every other month I would be down in bed for a week sick with bronchitis, with the flu. And it, it wasn't just during flu season, it was year-round. And I started to get frustrated. Went to the doctor, and I asked the doctor, I said, hey, you know, what, what can we do? And he says, you know what, I think you got a problem here. I need to get you in touch with a specialist. 
So I went to the do- a specialist, and the, he did an evaluation and checked my lungs and, and did studies on my lungs and see what was happening. And he came up with a diagnosis, and the diagnosis that I have a condition called chronic bronchitis. I was taking all kinds of medications. I had an inhaler. Uh, it, 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 was, it was crazy, but it didn't get better. But while I was living in Mexico, I would still, you know, work out. It's always been a part of my life since I was 19 years old. Uh, I like to stay in shape. I like to work out. So what I would do is I would work out with trainers. And I would befriend the trainer at a gym, and i say, hey, when do you work out? I want to work out with you. And I would do this at different places. And in this particular time, he knew that I was missing a lot because I was getting sick. And so one time after a workout, he sat down with me, and he said, hey, why do you think you're getting sick so much? And I said, I don't know. The doctor says I got a condition. He says, well, let me ask you some questions. And he says, uh, do you mind if I ask you some personal questions? And I said, open book. What, what do you, you want to know? He says, well, what, what's your stress level like? I said, it's pretty intense sometimes. He says, well, how many hours a night do you sleep? I said, well, about four or five. He says, what do you eat? I said, well, I kind of eat whatever's put in front of me. I go to people's houses and, you know, and las señoras, they, they, hey, here's some enchiladas. And, you know, I'm, hey, I'm going to eat whatever's put in front of me, right? Let's go. Tacos, tamales, tortas, you know, whatever it is. You put it in front of me, I'm going to eat it. And so he broke it down for me. He said, so you're not, you're not eating really healthy, are you? I said, no, probably not. Okay, so I got a a specialist, a bronchial specialist, and I got a trainer. The trainer says, I think I can fix your problem. Give me two months. Okay, and I was teetering on moving out of Mexico City because I couldn't stay. We were going to move. We were going to leave. And it was discouraging because I really felt called by God to stay there and do that work for as long as God wanted and so he gave me this regimen. He says, you've got to sleep seven hours a night at least. Shoot for eight. You've got to change your diet. I don't care what the senoras give you. You've got to say no. You've got to learn to say no. Okay? Two months. You've got to stop eating all the stuff, and you've got to be intentional about what you eat. And you've got to learn to manage your stress. Two months. So I went for it. Guess what happened? I didn't get sick anymore, except in December. Always got sick in December for years because the things just got crazy, and I I wouldn't follow it. But because of what he shared with me and because of the changes, I was able to stay in Mexico City for eight years. We were able to stay for eight years, and it was an incredible ride that we had in that church and in that city. But there was a time where we almost left. And it was early on. He said, why are you sharing this story? Because it's significant. I believe a lot of us are faced with challenges in our lives. And we think the answer is, I got to go. I got to get out of this situation. I got to move. And, and we got the whole list of excuses or the reasons why we got to make these changes. And they're not the right changes, but they're kind of the avoid changes or get out of, leave, uh, run away changes. 
Today we're going to talk about functional faith. See, and I had to do functional fitness, and I'm going to share with you some other things, but you're going to have to address some things in your life that are keeping you from breaking through changes that God wants you to make and that can affect the lives of other people. And it's significant. And when we talk about faith, it can be kind of elusive, right? Well, it's faith. You got faith. I got faith. We got faith. No, no, no. There is a clear picture of faith. And Paul wanted the church in Rome to understand exactly what that picture looked like. And he uses a person as his example. Are you ready? And if you want to know what faith looks like, I want you to open the dictionary and his picture will show up. Not really, but it should. His picture will show up. And you know whose picture it is? Anybody know? It's not a trick question. Abraham. Abraham. Okay, my clicker's not working. There we go. Abraham. So look at what Paul says about Abraham. He's trying to show the church in Rome exactly what faith looks like because there was some tension. Verse 18, it says, Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. You know, here's an interesting point with this verse. Abraham believed, and look at what it says, so he became. Let me just stop here. Do you know that what you believe, you become? Just, just stop and think about that. How important is faith? Oh, it defines you. See, and some of us, we don't want to face the facts of, of what's, what's, what's wrong here. It's what you believe. And what you believe, you become. And that's why faith is so important. Abraham became the father of faith. We are his offspring. He goes on in verse 19. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. We're talking about the ability that Abraham had physically to have children at 100 years old. Let's just come to a conclusion. At 100 years old, your reproductive organs stop working. Can we agree on that? And then 88-year-old woman, okay, Sarah, the womb is not working anymore. It doesn't function anymore at 88 years old. This is an impossibility. But see, Abraham faced the facts. Here are the facts. I'm 100 years old, and, and my, my, my body functions are not working, and my wife's body functions are not working, so this, this cannot happen, but God is saying it can. So he's looking at the facts, and look at what it says. And it says, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This was a workout. Abraham got strong, but what made Abraham strong? The promises of God. See, he focused more on the promises of God than he did on his circumstances. And you have certain things that are going on in your life that are keeping you 
from fulfilling God's promises. And you must address those. And you got to be honest about those. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's things, things are going on at work. Maybe it's your character. Maybe there's some addictions going on in your life. You know, you know, if you ask God, and here's what else you can do if you really want to know, ask the people that are close to you, and they will tell you if they're honest. You really want to know? Are you sure? Okay, I'll tell you. And they'll tell you. He was strengthened. He was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. And so this is what we're going to focus on today, and I want you to repeat it back with me. It is what it is. Now, you've got to help me here because it is what it is, but it's not what it seems. It is what it is, but it's not what it seems. All the way in the back, it is what it is, but it's not what it seems. This could be your life. It is what it is, isn't it? I got, I got some things going on in my life that, you know, my past, my character, it is what it is. But it's not what it seems. There's more to it. See, God wants to change the story. God wants to change things in our lives that we think are impossible to change. And that's the power of faith. That's the power of what God can do. And I want to talk about narrators because this is important. You know, isn't it amazing, the movies that are coming out right now, how these stories can be written out of pure imagination. I'm blown away. I'll give you a great example. Love the movie Star Wars. Saw it when I was a teenager and it's back. And man, I'm just going, this guy, George Lucas, sat down with a pen and paper and created this whole world. I mean, it's insane. And you watch it, you're going, wow, that world really exists. I want to go there for, you know, vacation. And, it, and it's amazing. Do you know that it's completely invented? It came from his brain. Or then you go, you know, for the little kids, you got Finding Dory, you know, a really cute story. But they come up with all these stories. And then their most recent one, The Secret Life of, 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 of Pets. And you go, man, that's just, how do they come up with this stuff? Storytellers, narrators, and great narrators can take you on a journey and take you to a place where you just go, wow. Can I ask you a question? Who's your narrator? Who's your narrator? Who's been narrating your life? And, and I believe today is a day that we can address, some of, some of you need to get a new narrator because the one that you got is negative, whiny, cynical, critical. And look at what he's doing to your life. Look at what he's doing to your emotions. He's telling you all this stuff that can happen, that won't happen, and how bad it is over and over. And, and I want to tell you that there is another narrator that you can have in your life. It's called the Holy Spirit. 
if you will listen and allow him, and if you will receive him in your life as a gift, okay? And if you want to know how to do that, I want to encourage you to talk to the person who invited you, and they can take you through a series of Bible studies. It's not complicated, and you can get a new narrator, but you're going to have to work at it. I want you to imagine what your life would be like if you had a really awesome narrator. You know what I mean? Like a George Lucas. That would, that would tell you the force is with you. Just look to your neighbor and say, the force is with you. I mean, that just, that's just awesome. I want a narrator that's going to tell me God's going to work in your life in spite of the situations that you're facing. It's going to work. He's going to bless you. He's going to work. He's going he's to make your things change. He's going to turn your circumstances around. Here's the deal. You think, well, that's just, no, no, no. This is what God did with Abraham. This is what God does again and again with people here in this church. And I'm, I'm amazed by it. I'm inspired. So can, can you think that over about firing your narrator and getting a new one? Because I believe he's affecting or she's affecting whoever the narrator is, your marriage, your family, your circumstances, your career. He is holding you down. And you need to say, enough is enough, you're fired. I want a new narrator. And I want to hear somebody else telling me how my marriage is awesome and my wife is beautiful and my husband is awesome and he's a, he's a handsome, tremendous, awesome guy. That's the narrator I want. And guess what? What you believe you will become. That's what happened with Abraham. There is a kind of faith that is dangerous, and we need to talk about this because Paul addressed it. There's a dangerous faith, and it's a faith you don't want, and it's at two extremes. Let me show you. you you've got denial on one side and despair on the other. This kind of faith is destructive, okay? Denial. What does denial say? Basically, denial says this. It's a version of faith that doesn't accept reality. That's not faith. What does it say about Abraham? He faced the facts. Last month, we did a series called 4-8. You remember that? You need to 4-8 that. Now, when we went through that series, it was all about thinking positive, faithful thoughts. But that doesn't mean it's all good, does it? We talked about that. Having faith doesn't mean I'm just going to be ah, cheery and happy and, you know. No, no, no. Abraham had some really dark days. In fact, let me tell you a little thing about Abraham. It's interesting. It didn't show up in Romans 4. There's some things that Abraham did that were pretty squirrely, weren't they? You know your Bible, right? Genesis. What are some squirrely things that Abraham did? Can you remember? He what? He lied. He's the, he's the father of faith, and he lied not once but twice. He lied to a king. He told, hey, this woman, Sarah, she's not my wife. What? what? You got a ring, and you're married. You, you've been... And, and you know what happened with one of the kings? One of the kings caught him kissing his not-wife. 
looking in her eyes. And he said, wait, whoa, whoa. The king said, wait a second. I thought you said she's not your wife. She's your sister. And God had to mess with a couple of those kings because they tried to marry Sarah. And God said, I'm going to kill you. You mess with Sarah, I kill you. And I kill a lot of people around you. Don't mess with Sarah. But let's talk about Abraham. Abraham had some weak moments, didn't he? Now here's my question. How come that part of the story didn't show up in Romans 4? How come Paul didn't mention it? This is huge. How come Paul didn't share that? See, because Paul understood how God tells a story. And sometimes God leaves out the failures of a story. Do you know why? Because God sees our lives and saw Abraham's life through the glasses of grace. And, and, and when the Holy Spirit tells a story, yeah, stuff gets left out. The bad stuff. Why? Because God's not looking at our bad stuff all the time. He's trying to focus on the good stuff. And the fact is that Abraham trusted God. And God focused on that. He says, I want to focus on your strengths. Manage your weaknesses, but I'm going to focus on your strengths. What kind of glasses are you looking at and looking through? That's why it's so important. Faith, faith accepts the facts. Abraham knew who he was. He, he faced the facts. You know, we're going to talk about this, this whole idea of despair, but without weakening his faith, he faced the facts. What are some facts about your life that you just need to own and stop denying? Here's one of them. You've got a past, and your past is affecting your present. All of us have a past. And that past, believe it or not, is reaching over into your present. And it's, it's affecting the way you think and the way you see the world and the way you treat people. Can you own it? You know, and here's the truth. There's some people in the church that have come from a sexually abused background. And they're highly tweaked, but yet their past is not affecting their present. But they're very aware of it. And they understand it. See, they're facing the facts. And there's a difference. See, when you have faith and you're facing the facts, you know that God's not going to fix everything. Some of the things you have to do to change them and to make decisions, I'm not going to be that person anymore. See, Abraham had to decide, I'm not going to be a liar anymore. Yes, I was. And lying wasn't the only situation. Abraham was trying to work work around the promise of God, and so he took his wife's servant and slept with her and thought, well, maybe if I can't have, and they did that in those times, he slept with her so that she could have a child, and it would be as if he's had a child, and God said, no, that's not the way I'm going to do it. So let let me just say this. When God looks at you, is he looking at all the dirt? I want you to do this. Look to your neighbor and just put them right there and say, God sees the good in you. Can you do that? Just put your fingers up there and say, God sees the good in you. God sees the good in you. God sees the good in you. He's focused on that. 
Over here on the side, you guys over here. Okay, you're not, you're not cooperating. God sees a good. Now, why can't we do that with each other? Because we're not looking through the eyes of grace. We're looking through the eyes of, of judgment. And that doesn't mean we don't deal with the facts. But we don't live according to the facts. We live according to faith. We deal with the facts. We face the facts. I got issues, and I'm going to deal with them. And that's what Abraham did. It's amazing. And here's something. You cannot get over what you do not own. You got to own your stuff. You got to face it. You got character flaws. You got an anger problem. You got an addiction. You got to face it head on. Some things require discipline in order to change. Like, for example, you want to get out of debt and you're waiting for a check. Don't wait for a check. Probably a good thing to do is get a job and start paying down that debt. There's a difference. The starting place of authentic faith is honesty. Let me just be honest. I'm not there yet, but I want to work on it. And I want to get some help to work on it. I want to deal with this. I want to deal with what's going on in my life. And, 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 the, and the truth of the matter is, is we've got to take responsibility. How do we get here? Stop blaming other people. You take responsibility. It was nobody's fault but Abraham's when he had to face the facts about his situation. I want to talk about this, this whole idea of denial. Um, sometimes we're, we're faced with situations that we've got to take action on. And here's, here's where we're going to have a little fun. But I want, to, I want to tell you guys a little story. A number of years back, uh, I... I was going to the doctor with my dad. My dad has a serious back problem. He has three surgeries on his back. He's 89 years old, uh, and, and he's got some serious back problems. We went together. I took him to his neurosurgeon appointment, uh, which happens to be my cousin, which is a nice thing, uh, my, my dad's nephew. And so we're in my, my cousin's office at Baptist Hospital, and he's going through the evaluation, and my dad's over there doing some stuff, filling out some paperwork, and my cousin pulled me over, and he goes, hey, I, I, I just want to let you know something. You have the same, basically, posture and spinal look as your dad. I'm like, whoa, what do you mean? And you can just tell that? No x-rays or nothing? You just, you just know that? He goes, oh, yeah. I can look at you. And here's what it is. My dad had a curvature on his back. And this curvature, what it does at certain points is it pinches the discs, okay, and created a tremendous amount of pain. He's also got arthritis. And so what they did is they fused the disc here. They put an insert over here. These were three, you know, surgeries that he had. And today my dad's 89 years old, and he's hunched over like this. And my cousin said, hey, if you don't want to go through this, I suggest you get busy about taking care of your back. I said, what do you mean? He says, I'm going to recommend some, some exercises you can do to take care of your back. Okay, and there, there's, these, there's these muscles right here on the, on the back, the latissimus dorsi, right here on your back. And you got to take care of those. See, because what they do is they, 
press against the spine here. See that? They press against the spine and they help keep it straight. They help keep the curvature in line. And I got to share with you guys because I started to do these pull-ups. Okay, you ready for the workout? Okay, so when I, when I started, when I started doing the workouts, you know, I, could, I couldn't do very much. I, I could only do, you know, and I had to put my foot down here and I got, uh, right? One, uh, two, okay? That's how I started. It was a little frustrating, right? But with time, what happens? You get, you get stronger and then you can start busting them out, right? <laughs> right? Too many. Okay. Not showing off. <laughs> Once you understand something, when you have a weakness and you want to address it, you got to deal with it. Amen. I could only do one or two. Just busted out 18. And so, what's happened, gotten stronger. Guess what? Haven't had any back problems so far. I'm gonna do what I can. Here's another one, okay? Doesn't stop there. He also said, see these right here, what are these called? Right here, abs, right? Okay, so, had to start doing some abs, okay? How many of you like to do abs? So I had to do these. Okay, ready? Had to do these, a lot of these, okay? Bust these out. Do like this, like this, like this, like that, okay? Like this, like this, lots of them. So this could stay strong. What this does Keeps your back straight. You with me so far? Lower back. Kids love it. Church. <laughs> See what I'm talking about? Got to bring the word alive. Lower back muscles. Okay? Got to keep the lower back muscles strong. Okay? So I would do these. I still do them. Okay? Reverse sit-ups. Uh, just like that. Okay? Do a bunch of them. What happens? It's stronger. Keeps the back straight. You with me? Keeps it in line. What happens if it gets out of line? Pinch a disc, pain, start to hunch over. Another one. Push ups. Okay? Before, when I was a young man, I would work out to get big, okay? It was all about vanity, to be impressive. It's not about that anymore. It's about functional 
fitness. So do push-ups, okay? Got this little thing right here. Just bust them out. Okay, you go, you go, you go, and you go, right? Do this twice a week. Another thing, not a lot of fun, seems sissy-like, yoga. Okay? Another thing he told me is your flexibility with all this muscle work, and the older you get, muscles get tighter, okay? You lose your flexibility, stuff gets rigid. You got to do your yoga. Okay? It's chair pose. All kinds, I'm not going to get into that because it's weird and crazy. Okay, so why am I sharing with this? I got a problem. I got a problem. Okay? And it's this. I got an angled spine. And here's how it relates. You say, well, how does this relate to Abraham? These muscles that press against the spine to keep it straight are the promises of God. You focus on that and you get the promises of God stronger in your life. What does it do to your weaknesses? What did it do to Abraham's weaknesses? Made him strong. I'm not focusing on this because if I stay strong and keep strong in the promises of God, everything's good. Okay, here's some of the benefits. I like to play golf with my friends. And golf's not a good thing on your back. It's really not. But because I work out, I can hit the ball further than my friends. A lot further. And when you hit the ball far, it's a big deal in golf. Okay? You're the big guy. Okay? But it's just little things that your health is better. I've had to eat a lot less food. Because see, if this gets big, what happens to your back? Pulls. Okay? I, I can't have a big gut. No gut. Because I got a problem. There's certain things in your life you can't have and you should not allow to happen because they're going to mess you up. So are you getting the application spiritually? You don't mess around with porn because it's going to mess up your brain and it's going to mess up your future relationships. And when you're in a marriage one day, it's all messed up. And if you're in a dating relationship, you want to keep that relationship pure. Do you know why? So that it's straight. So that when you get married, there won't be any bad memories and there won't be any guilt and there won't be any of the drama from the before. If you're in a marriage, you stay faithful, mind, soul, spirit to your wife and to your husband. Why? Because it keeps it straight. So many applications, guys. So let's just talk about it. What's your deal? I've gotten super open with you about my deal. This is the physical stuff, but there's stuff in my life where I got I to deal with things. Women, for example, I don't counsel women. I don't meet with women. If a sister in the church asks me for help, I say, you go see my wife. You know why? Because I got a bad past. I don't want anything to do with that. If a woman approaches me, wants to have a conversation, I say, hey, why don't you come to church? 
I keep my distance. Why? Because I know I got a curvature. Okay? What's your deal? Are you ready to get honest about it? Are you facing the facts and dealing with your faith? Reoccurring struggles, what are they? What are they? Things you want to blame others for, what are they? Who are you blaming when you need to take responsibility for it? This is my deal. Weaknesses that are not managed, being managed. They're taking over, and you know it. Number four, situations that you've not surrendered to God. See, and this is the thing about Abraham. Abraham went through a number of years where the child wasn't born. He's like, God, you promised me a child. Where's the child? And, and, and Abraham was honest with God. And I highly recommend you get honest with God. It's okay to be honest with God. Read the Psalms. David, David complained to God. Where are you? I don't see you showing up in my life. You promised me, but it's not happening. But he took it to God. He was honest with God. That's called being a friend of God. I can be honest with my friends. But you got to surrender it. In your time, God. In your time. It's cute. Seriously, in your time, God. In your time, God. And then the last one, denial that there's even a problem. Some of you are in this situation. You're like, no, there's no problem here. Can I help you? Yes, there is. There's a serious problem. And you're not owning it. You're not dealing with it. It's, it's taking over. It's affecting your relationships. It's affecting your life. It's affecting your work. It's affecting things in your life. You got to take, take responsibility for it. You got to own it. And if you need some help, there are people that are close to you. I don't even have to ask my wife. She tells me. She's letting me know. And I appreciate that. It's one of the reasons why I married her. Because she's honest. I need a little water here because the workout's getting intense. All right, let's wrap this up. This is something you got to understand about God. Let's flip this on the positive side. Paul wrote this to the church in Galatia. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's what? Say it with me. Seed. And heirs according to the promise. Guess what you are? If you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, I highly recommend you get in Christ. Okay? I highly recommend. Some of you have been coming to church. It's time to turn yourself in. It's time to get right with God. It's time to repent of your sins and, and, and deal with reality. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Turn, turn the steering wheel over and the keys over to him and say, you're driving from now on. I make Jesus Lord. And you get baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of all your sins. You need to do that so you can be Abraham's seed. Now let's talk about a seed. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. He said a lot of things about the kingdom of God. That's why you waited. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You know how small a mustard seed is? Fit on the tip of your finger. A couple millimeters. Really small. Right? Now, Jesus told this story in Palestine 
And in Palestine, that's a small seed. If Jesus, I believe this, if Jesus were in California and I know what kind of seed he would use, he would use a sequoia pine seed. Now here's my question. If you're a seed, what's a seed? Seed is a tree ready to explode. A sequoia pine cone. Do you know how many seeds? This is not a sequoia pine cone. It's a little large one from out there in the tree. I got one on my desk. Sequoia pine cone. You know how many seeds are in a sequoia pine cone? Approximately 230 in one cone. What do you see I have in my hand? A tree. Little kid got it. A pine tree. A lot of pine trees. What do you see when you see this? Do you see a seed or do you see a tree? You are a seed. What are you really? You're a tree, but you're still remaining in the seed form. And it's time for you to accept that God wants to make a tree out of you. He wants to grow you. He wants to change you. It's time to grow. Say it with me. It's time to grow. It's time to grow. It's time to grow and stop settling for where you are in your life. Some of you settled and you've accepted it is what it is. That's only half of the title of the lesson today. The whole title it is, it is what it is, but it's not what it seems. I'm really a tree, because I'm growing. And what does a tree have to, what does a seed have to be do? It has to be planted. It has to be planted in the ground. And sometimes when you're in the ground, what's the ground? It's dirty and it's dark. And some of you have let the dirty, dark situations in your life completely enclose you and you're not growing. And you're blaming people. You've become negative and cynical. And you're saying, well, this is the reason why I'm not going to become a Christian because it's not cool at school to be a Christian. You'll never become a tree. It's hard to be a college student and stay pure. Yes, it is. It's dark. It's dirty to be a follower of Jesus. But if you want to be a tree, you got to be planted. Do you know how tall a sequoia tree gets? 26 stories is the tallest one. General Grant, 26 stories high. I think there's a Wells Fargo building right over here. It's pretty tall. I don't know if it's 26 stories, but that's pretty big. It's the largest living. Why did Jesus say it's a seed? You're a seed. Because he's trying to get us to understand God has great, great plans for our transformation but we got to be like Abraham and we got to follow Abraham and let it let it happen let it grow let it change yet when planted look at what Jesus says when you take the seed and you plant it yet planted it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches that birds can perch on its shade you're gonna be so big people are gonna come and land on your arms you're gonna provide shade refuge, rest for people around you. That's how big your faith is going to get. That's what the promises of God want to do in your life. But you have to get practical. That all sounds good. 
but you've got to get functional faith. You've got to get functional faith. And, and so right here, we don't want denial. Let's face the facts. We don't want despair because despair says, I've tried and I've tried and it doesn't work and God's not answering my prayers and I, so I, I throw in the towel. See this towel? I'm done. I'm finished. I quit my faith. I quit church. I'm not leaving God, but I'm leaving church. Is there really a difference? See, God planted you in a church. See, that's the soil around you. Those are the people that he's going to help cultivate. And it blows my mind how people have this idea, well, I'm going I'm to go here and I'm going to go there. And they never really get connected. And then they wonder why they're not growing and they're just bouncing around. And they're not. The worst of all is they're not helping other people grow either. See, it's not just about you. It's about, it's about the people around you. You and I are here to help other people grow too. So it's not denial. It's not despair. Where is, des- where is it? It's destiny. Faith is destiny. Faith says, I am destined to be different. I am destined to flourish. God has a great plan for my life. I got to deal with my stuff, okay? I got to deal with functional fitness, faith, okay? I got to deal with my my problems, get the promises of God wrapped around me so that my, my spine stays straight and I don't get out of whack. Jesus said this, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces what? He's talking about himself, but he's also going to talk about us. See, when Jesus said, it's time for me to be glorified, guess what everybody was thinking? You're going to become a king. You're going to get this big army, and we're going to, we're going to get the, the Romans, and we're going to kill the Romans, and we're going to have our own nation, and you're going to become David again, and we're going to have the biggest and baddest kingdom in the whole world. Did it work out that way? Jesus was killed. Jesus was killed as a, as a, as a, as a criminal. Everybody was discouraged. See, the narrative of Jesus can be that he was killed and buried. But there's another narrative. He was planted in the ground. And on the third day, what sprung out of the ground? A revolution that 2,000 years later would still be bearing fruit, would still be changing lives. Jesus changed the world. He was the seed. He was planted, and he's still changing people today. Are you going to let Jesus fulfill his promise in your life? But listen, you've got to understand, sometimes it's not glorious. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. You got to let go of your pride and of your own desires, what you want. Some of you want a boyfriend so bad that you're willing to compromise your faith. Uh uh, won't work. Remember in college, that girl's asking me to go out. It's crazy. I said, No. You follow Jesus? Oh, yeah, I go to church. No, 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 no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
do you follow Jesus? Come to my church and we'll see if you follow Jesus. I'll have some sisters study the Bible with you and they'll teach you. Oh, no, 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 I'm not interested in your church. And it comes to find out she's not going to church anywhere. So no, I don't want to go on a date with you. Don't want a relationship with you. You've got to lose your life. There are certain things, yeah, you won't be able to do because you understand I have a greater destiny, a greater future. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for the eternal life, what Jesus is talking about is eternal change and transformation. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Let me just tell you, our life is not going to last forever here. You know, this is all good, taking care of your body, eating right, and, but guess what? This is going to break down. And that's why it's so important to have an eternal relationship with Jesus because some of us are dealing with terminal illness here in the church. And you know, you know, time's almost up. But here's the thing Jesus is talking about. This seed, and this is, this is the most glorious part of what he's talking about. The seed is going to explode. They're going to put you in the ground, and then you're going to come out, and you're going to be transformed, a new body, new life, and it's going to be eternal. That's what Jesus is saying. See, we're not focused on here and now, guys, and this is all practical, it's good, all this stuff that we're talking about, life and relationships and careers, and it's, it's positive, it's great, but we've got to focus on eternity. You know, and the Bible describes, describes it this way, you and I, our life is like a mist. I have one of those things in my office, you know, one of those, those mist things that puts out, you know, I, I use it when I pray, and it has like eucalyptus smell, but I look at that mist, and when I'm praying, I look at that mist and say, God, that's me. That's my life because it comes out and it's gone. That's you and me. Do you realize what we're working on as a church? Do you realize what you're working on in your life? It's eternal. Okay? And you've got to start thinking about that. Jesus put everything on the line for us. He died. And it wasn't a glorious death. It was shameful. He went that through, through that for us. It's glorious for us because we get our sins forgiven and we get the promises of God all around us. But it's time we made some changes. So I want to encourage you right now. We're going to take the communion. But I want to encourage you this week, this, this week, please do not just take lightly what we're talking about. Sit down, write some things down, deal with it. What's keeping you from God's future in your life? What is it? What is it? Get specific. And if you need some help, talk to the people who you're close to. They'll help you. What will you do differently this week to address your faith challenges? What practical thing? And I want you guys to know, this applies. I work out four to five times a week. I was at the conference last week, and I didn't miss any workouts because, see, for me, it's not a question of vanity so I can walk around and be in shape. No, i got to do this every week. Or if it's not, it's not real. Spiritually speaking, what are you going to do this week that's going to affect your faith? Practically, 
What's going to be different? Okay? And you can get some help with that. And the last one is, who are the people that you're going to include in your decision to be different? In other words, who are you going to be accountable to? And we've got to do a better job at this. This idea of, uh, I'm on my own and, and I'm not accountable to anybody. You know how far that's going to go? We've got to be accountable to each other. And, and, and it's not something that you have to, you choose to. Hey, I'm accountable to you. What do you see? And, and I want to make sure. I'm making some decisions to change. Will you, will you hold me accountable? That's what it means. All right? So that's, that's functional faith for today. Our workout is done. Okay? All done. Okay? I'm getting a towel because I'm not done. I'm staying with it, okay? But I want to say this. It's so important you get serious about your faith. Jesus took it really, really serious. And as we take the communion right now, I really want you to visualize Jesus' body and his blood. He gave it to you so that you could take your faith seriously. It's not a Sunday thing. It's a Monday through Sunday thing. It's so important. And you got to deal with it. Okay? All right, let's pray. And I hope that God will bless you. We'll be done after we're done with that. You'll be dismissed. And I hope you have an incredible week. Hope you work on your, your curvatures and you get strong and you get the, the promises of God wrapped around you to know that he's got great plans for your life. Let's pray for the communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for Jesus. Right now we want to lift up Jesus because he gave everything for us. He gave his body give his blood. He risked his relationship with you, Father, so that we could be right. God, we ask you to give us full forgiveness right now for shrinking back, for avoiding, for denying, for getting caught up in despair. Father, please help us, through Jesus, see our destiny, that you want to do incredible things with us. Father, we love you. We need you. Thank you for everything. And God, right now, we just pray for the world around us. God, we, we want to make a difference. Help us to get out of our world so we can help other people. And so that we can be, like Jesus envisioned, that tree that grows, that sprouts, that can provide shade, a resting place for others, that they can find faith. Father, we love you. We need you. Bless this communion. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, Leslie. Did she play beautifully? Okay. Well, you are all dismissed to have a phenomenal week. I pray it could be the best week that you've ever had. I really want to encourage you to have some great conversations today, this week, about how you're going to put your faith in a functional way. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next week.